And what this is doing, what this movie is revealing, is that there's there's this very disturbing undercurrent in cultured in cultured American or maybe Western society, and it's showing up all over the place. And as soon as I saw that movie, I started to notice it in other in different places. It's this it's this comfort with the idea that first of all we are nothing, and that perhaps it's better yeah. that we will be nothing soon. That it doesn't matter because we are so bad. We are so awful that it would be better for us to, to kind of just let it go. Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's this podcast aimed at folks like you. Maybe um, you're like Neo, you're a little trapped, feel a little dislocation going on. This pod, well, it's heavy things done lightly. Theology, philosophy, years of deeply immersive experiences in foreign cultures allow us to take this look at the new world the new world of light people, folks post-Enlightenment Revolution, and we compare it to what it was like in the old world. And then we make some conclusions, and hopefully it all leads to a little love. Today, an author who writes in the style of Russian fairy tales, a freelance translator, a conductor of a men's choir, a Grammy-nominated vocalist, a dude I love who's been on the show before, Nicholas Kotar, joins us to talk about rootedness, to talk about the machine, this this world that is coming, to talk about the origins of the machine, how we got to where we are, and to talk about something called dangerous storytelling. Today on Watar, Nicholas Kotar. I want to thank you, uh, Deacon Nicholas Kotar, for coming in. You're looking... Looking nice and cozy down in your in your basement um, um, office. I love it. Are you sipping on some hot hot drinks there? Yeah, yeah, coffee. Yeah, nice. the elixir of life. You know, <laughs> it's very good. It's very good to have you back. This is your second time on Watar. Yes, it is. Thank uh, you for having I, me back. It's been a while. You know what? It was really too long. Our first conversation was, I just was gorgeous, I thought. And you got me right in the, I think you were one of the very first interviews. You know, I was, uh, we go back and forth between interviews and just ripping some social commentary more or less. And uh, you, well, you're back trying to figure out this old world, new world thing with me. And I think we'll try to do it through storytelling today and talking about it. Because that's your, well, among other things, tell, tell us about who you are real quick for folks who maybe don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, you don't have to say much. I got it. I'll, I'll rip it in the intro, but I love it. <laughs> Please do. I, I'm, a, I'm a deacon in the in the Orthodox Church. I I'm a writer. I'm a translator. I teach at uh, Holy Trinity Seminary. Uh, I conduct a men's choir at the monastery there. I uh, I'm a soloist, tenor soloist, part time. Uh, whenever the occasional um, project shows up. I'm a creative guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just would uh, recommend everybody go check out uh, Nick's website where he's got uh, his books. Uh, the ones that I like are Raven's Son. Uh, your work there is really interesting. So let's start with something like this. Uh, a lot of people are telling stories. The internet's allowing everybody in um, mm -hmm. and they're flying about, you know? So there's something about rootedness we were talking about off air and and connection building, and that's that's really interesting to me. What do you think of it root as rootedness when you're talking 
uh, about storytelling. What is that? Well, it, it's, it's a long story, which is why we're here talking about it for a long time. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it occurred to me um, on several stages, this idea of roots kept coming up in weird places. Um, and it was always in the context of storytelling. The first time I heard of the idea of rootedness as, as a story in itself was this amazing book. It's called Underland by Robert McFarlane. Um, one of the greatest nature writers uh, living right now. And in there, he's talking to a guy named Merlin Sheldrake, which has to be the greatest name of all time. Merlin I mean, Sheldrake. Merlin Sheldrake, yes, who is a specialist in, get this, mushrooms. Um, he's a mushroom specialist. Yeah. The kind of mushrooms we're thinking of that you would ingest, right? Uh, no, part. no, no, no. He's, in, he's, he's just all mushrooms. He, he's I got a specialist it. in all mushrooms. Yeah. Okay. I, he, he may occasionally ingest them. I don't know. That's, Wait, that's perhaps a different conversation. Got <laughs> but, it. This is big umbrella expertise in mushrooms. Yes. But you, you say umbrella, but the interesting thing, image of the umbrella is that the he started talking about how mushrooms are an umbrella, but underground. Uh, how the mycelium part of the mushroom, the, um, the actual heart and soul of the mushroom, is the largest creature on earth. There is a mushroom in Oregon that covers a massive part of the state because it's basically the um, the matrix that connects all of the trees in that massive tree-filled wow. mountainous area, right? And what's what was fascinating about the story is that the mycelium, that the part of the the mushroom, like the actual the, the beating heart of it, so to speak can't survive without a collaborative um, life with all of the other plants that exist and partake of its space. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, my first thought is this is entirely contrary to what evolution should be saying, right? Evolution is all about survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. And here we have the largest creature on earth that can only survive by um, encouraging helpful relationships between different species. I mean, this is literally the opposite of what we've been taught when it comes to evolution. Wow. And and Merlin Sheldrake is like, this doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense on an evolutionary scale. And yet, there it is. And that that image, it was there. It's, I, it started to root into me a little bit. I'm like, okay, this is really fascinating. What's going on here? And then soon after that, I, I took this course with Paul Kingsnorth, who's a wonderful writer and, and thinker. We talk about him more, I think, a little bit in a little mm -hmm. bit. But mm -hmm. he has this wonderful course called Rewilding Your Words. And he takes people through this journey of trying to get outside of their heads and allow language to come out more freely okay. in a way that nature intends it to. Um, and, the, you know, it involved some kind of touchy feely stuff. Like you have to go walk outside and stare at rocks and touch trees yeah. and do things like this. Right. <laughs> but, you know, we don't do that stuff. Well, I was going to say, yeah. That, we haven't already done that. If we had already done that, then we might not even think of it as touchy-feely. That's interesting. I hate it too, but I think it's because I have a de deficit in me. But yeah, you know, keep going. I want to hear. This is, this is fascinating. So, Well, it, you know, it's weird. Like, I, you know, I overcame the internal uh, resistance of the new, of the new world, right? Which is heavy in me. <laughs> right. And, right. you know, touching the bark of the tree. And like, if you, if you open yourself to it, there's... There's spirit there, man. I mean, it's it's a spiritual right, world. Right, Nature is right. filled with, is filled with it. Um, and and to us that might even sound weird, uh, even that even that formulation of it. But in during that core that course, he suddenly mentioned Merlin Sheldrake, 
Paul Paul Kingsnorth did. Okay. And the shared space of the mycelium and how and how how there's this um, interaction going on between different species in the same way as as the as the book Underland did. And I thought, wait a minute, this is something very important. I, I keep seeing this idea in different places, mm. and it's resonating, and it keeps coming up at, at important points in my in my creative journey. Because that that course that I took with Paul Kingsnorth was was a very important one for for my development as a writer. It it broke something open in me, and I I actually started to write poetry for the first time in twenty years. Um, so it works, right? And then uh, Paul Kingsworth uh, eventually started doing this uh, Substack, this paid newsletter, where he's mm-hmm. talking about the incursion of the machine in the world. So it's a, I mean, there's a lot to talk about there, but the um, one thing that came came up was this image of a flower that he shared, and I, th- I think it was from Plato, where he sh- he had the the diagram of a flower where the roots were the Oh gosh, I, I need to have the image in front of me. I don't know why I didn't prepare. <laughs> Silly me. No, but no. basically, the, the the roots are all the stuff that's going on underneath. The stem is, um, you know, the the meaningful thoughts that come out of a deeply felt, deeply thought experience right. of the world. And the flower is the crown of that. But also, the the flower is the this very superficial level. Uh, so without the stem and and the roots. It's not going to be much of anything. In fact, right. it's just going to wither. Right. So his point was that most of most discourse on the internet, most ideas that people share on the internet with each other, especially in in post COVID land, is on the level of flower, and that flower has no stem. It's just been pressed between two pages of a book, and it's this shriveled wow, thing. Wow, nice image. It's dead. It's dead. It's, it's dead. But but you can analyze it. And you can say a lot of nice things about it, but it's dead. Cut it open. You can look at uh, it under a microscope and see all these cool things, right? But it's dead. It's totally dead. Right. Um, so I'm like, wait a minute. We should be we should be working on the roots. We should really, all of us need to be working on the roots, starting yeah. with me. So the idea that there has to be a story or there has to be a way of telling my own story or a way of finding stories around me or a way of telling stories, maybe all of those, maybe some of those, Mm-hmm. that really emphasizes the idea of rootedness and it fits right now doesn't it because well look at it this way right john so like in the beginning of the of the uh pandemic we all had a common enemy right mm-hmm. it was a very clear enemy and and we all had a quest it was a very easy quest it, it was do everything possible to prevent this thing from overwhelming us right mm-hmm. it was a fairly simple narrative so a lot of people chose this chose to see their lives through the through the light of this kind of quest narrative where it's one simple easy uh enemy and we can all kind of go mm-hmm. out and do our thing and it's going to be unpleasant it's going to be not very good but we can do it because we know yeah. we're going to come through stronger on the other side sort mm-hmm. of the classic quest narrative the classic hero's journey but this quest seemed to end let's say last summer when things got a little better and then now it definitely did. it's yeah, but now it's not better. It's worse. And it, mm-hmm. it keeps getting more confusing. It keeps getting more worse. And the stories about it are becoming more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, the p- stories people tell each other, the stories that that our higher-ups tell us, the stories that our neighbors tell us, we tell them, we tell ourselves, we tell each other, they're all, they've become confused. There's different stories. And most of them are now without those roots. Because although we've been stuck in place very often, all of us. We haven't been putting in the work, I think, of trying wow. to dig deep. Wow. So, but 
I'm guilty of this. So am I. I, I keep <laughs> pointing out, yes, the buds or the flowers that, but, and that's the nature of data or something. There's some, yeah. there's some data problem in it and that we're keep showing people something that has been mined, but we're, we're not, we're not showing them what's been mined from under the ground. I know what you mean. I do this yeah. and I know I do this because I'm on the internet and the internet is where all those flowers are, but they're dead, right? Because they're not rooted. So what's the answer to this? Can we tell a story that's rooted? Will people stop and listen? Or are we addicted to the, the, the cheap bud? Yeah, I mean, this is the problem, right? Because, okay, well, this is the way Paul Kingsnorth describes it. He says there are two stories, effectively, that are now dominating. And both of them are fairly unrooted. And I, th I, think, I think I'll be able to explain why. But the first one is the plague story. It's, it's a simple story. There is a plague out there. Mm -hmm. um, we must do everything we can to stop the spread of the plague. Our leaders, our public health leaders, are doing some extraordinarily difficult things, some of which are authoritarian in nature, but they are necessary, and we should listen to them. We should band together mm -hmm. and accept these temporary measures for the sake of everybody's health, especially the health of others, not our own health, right? So this is this the plague story is one you see in. in Movies in Contagion, in Station Eleven, which is a new show that just came out, uh, very timely. It's that kind of thing, right? The enemy is clear. Mm -hmm. It's both the plague and also all the idiots who refuse to follow yeah. the admittedly difficult but necessary um, prescriptions of of the higher ups, right? So that's the plague story, and those who follow that story are very angry. Oh yeah. At at a lot of people, yeah. right? But that's not a rooted story because it it doesn't come out of a shared experience of community. It can't. It has to be an. Ex this story has to come out of sort of the, the hero's journey gone gone wrong. Mm -hmm. It has to come out Explain of that. I have to save the. Well, okay, so it's it's basically a a, a story that emphasizes one's uh, it emphasizes difficulty alone in the wilderness. Right? Uh, we have to, I have to I do see. this. I have to go out there. I have to beat this beast, right? And if we all do it individually, it's still, even though if we, even if we all do it together, it's still every individual human being that has to do it because this story accepts the fact that we need to be locked down. It accepts yep. the fact that we need to impose on ourselves these external difficulties. Yep. It accepts yep. the necessity of our of our going out, out into the wilderness, right. mm -hmm. um, whether that's real or, or in, within us, right? Yeah. But it doesn't have the thing that makes the hero's journey uh, palatable because the hero's journey without the beginning and the end, just the middle part is nothing but pain. It's, it's, it's intense it's, pain. It's a type of uh, um, it's, it's suffering unredeemed. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Stuck. Yeah. In the, right. in a loop that keeps yeah. going up and down. It's right. like, it's like a hamster in a wheel, but the wheel is is over a, a fire pit, right. <laughs> and the hamster's right. trying to run away, but he can't. Right? That's what it is. And what's missing? The mi the missing part is the fact that that there is no community to which one can return transformed in order to transform the community. Right. Because that 
that vision of the world is one in which it's very difficult for, for, and look, I'm saying this from a deep sense of compassion for people who see this as their Mm -hmm. narrative. They can't, it's very difficult for them to go back into community. They had for a while there, the, um, you know, the comfort of the vaccine, but even that's proving to be short lived. So I'm seeing this happen in front of me to very intelligent, very emotionally intelligent people who just simply cannot see themselves being in this in a room with somebody that that they know personally yeah. for longer than five minutes they can't do it you're really helping explain this through this notion of narrative keep keep going that became really clear right there it also helped me to deal with folks who i don't have much patience for these days <laughs> because i'm probably on the other side of the story you're about to tell but that's fascinating yes that is a compassionate way of explaining things and i think it's well, true I hope, I hope so because I, I i'm i don't believe in that in that story uh myself i, I will be open about that um so mm-hmm. it, it is hard for me sometimes to be compassionate but i do you know that image of the hamster you know trying to run away while being roasted i think that's very i think that's what's going on mm-hmm. so but the other story is another extreme it's it's something like this this is not a plague this is slightly more dangerous than the seasonal flu says this story our authorities are using this as an opportunity to take control and keep themselves in control over a stupid populace so they are using this opportunity to build an infrastructure framework of surveillance and control mediated by the coming of web 3.0 and the internet of things Mm -hmm. so that at any moment, whenever they feel like it, they can turn a key and suddenly the whole world is a soft totalitarian surveillance state. Yeah. Now the enemy for the people who tell this story is not the plague because there is no plague. The enemy is the idiots who think that our higher ups are in it for our own benefit. (laughs) So, so, right. But this is also a rootless story because it's divisive because it's not, it, it's one that very clearly isolates another yeah. and makes it impossible for us to have a rooted community because that's the point of the mushroom analogy is that the mycelium can only survive when different species hmm. of plants are cooperating in the same, uh, in the same space. So you need to have the other, you can't just, have a community of like-minded individuals that's not a community well the other problem is is at some point if your story is correct the truth floats to the top you still have the other and yeah. there, it demands some sort of ac- activity I, I would i don't like this word but against the other it it does scare me yeah there's a retribution moment there has to be something where if somebody pays yeah yeah in that second well, in both, really. Yeah, you're in both. right. There, yeah, there, in, there's an inherent scapegoating mechanism that can appear in, in either one of them. Yeah, yes. precisely, yeah. Be, precisely because of the lack of roots. For both. But now keep going because I feel like there's a moment here where you're going to describe something that I think probably is true and beautiful, but also the rootedness feels soft or weak or maybe you don't. I don't know. I want to hear what you say because I think the next conversation, the next part of the conversation, is something like, "Okay, well, what does the rootedness look like? What what does it look like?" Yeah, this is so. This is what I'm trying to figure out. I don't have an answer yet, right? But it's something that I'm 
that I'm intensely thinking about, intensely studying. Um, and I think I might have an answer soon. Uh, I'm actually going to I'm actually going to do a, a, a series of videos where I, where I tackle this idea uh, and where I try to answer the question about what is the story that can that can unite. What what does it look like? Can I ask you about the the, the degree of unity? Are you what is it? Just in your your intuition tells you this is a national thing. This is cultural. This is religious. It's global. How do you feel about that? Well, I think I think it has. I think it can. Okay, so global unity is is I think a sham. I think globalism uh, cannot be <laughs> um, mm. anything but something that that treads on the on the small. I don't think it can be a unifying mm -hmm. thing, except. Mm -hmm. From outside, it's a, kind of the kind of unity that is imposed from above. Mm. I, I think the answer, on some level, has to begin with unity within yourself. Yeah. I think wholeheartedness is the answer first, yeah, because these beautiful. these stories they come out of a lack of integration, in, inner integration. They, they come right. from, from fear, they come from pride, they come from a sense of either bloated self worth or bloated lack of self worth. Um, so there has to be. I think initially a, a very strong attempt to to become rooted oneself within oneself. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, what does that look like? I don't. I don't know entirely. I think it. I think there's a there's an active element and a contemplative element to it. I think it means. I think it means making a lot of space for awe and reverence. Yeah, first man. And yeah. Um, yeah. I was I was doing a podcast on what are children really. It, I, I tried that. This is the old world, new world conversation. What are children for? And yeah. then I kept coming around to that answer. And by the way, it's very unsatisfactory, even to my own Western mind. I mean, especially to my Western mind, because you know what? You know what? You it's ineffable, and that's the answer. Yeah. The problem is, is it really throws things off because then yeah. it's just to be. It's just to be. Just to be loved and worshipped. And, and, and the child is just to be awe, in awe of, but it's very unsatisfactory for, for, for the new world mind, in my humble opinion, but it is. Because it's, you can't put numbers to it because it's not something that you can, that you can put an equal a proposition, you know, X equals Y plus Z. You can't do that. Yeah. It, it defies all flat thinking. But I, I like your intuition on the, on the rootedness then. It's something like that though. It's something like smallness among the the giantness among the bigness right like we should be in awe yeah. of something maybe it's humility it, it has to have humility it has to have humility and mm -hmm. i think it has to include a very healthy dose of being just simply outside and it, you can break it down even as simple as that to really establish some sort of communion with the natural world um yeah just spending time being in in the fresh air being with with beings that surround you, you know. Gosh. Um, some, yeah, I sometimes do. I, I sometimes I listen to myself and I think, are you turning into an animist? I'm like, no, of course not. This is just how far the new world has gone from from living in the world. Yep. Yeah. No, I think so. Especially after after COVID, I mean, we're, we're basically encouraged to to live within four walls and nothing else. Well, you think it's by chance? You know, it's perfectly iconographic of what's going on that Meta rolls out. The concept of meta, the Facebook meta concept rolls out in, in the, in the pandemic. I mean, that's not oh, yeah. by chance, you know? Well, I mean, whether it's by chance or not, it's certainly COVID's accelerating that movement. I mean, that movement's been happening for a while. Um, but spiritually, I mean, it, it makes dark spiritual sense if there is. Yes. Such a yes. Concept. I agree. Yeah, I agree.
Nothing this, I don't I don't think anything happens by chance. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And we'll know, maybe we won't know now perfectly, but we'll know. We have to pay attention. So is this, that was really interesting in terms of rootedness. Is this then where stories aren't told with some sense of awe and, and rootedness? Oh, I'm going to go with that. Is that what we mean by a potentially a type of dangerous storytelling? Is 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 that what's going on there? Okay, so this is where the this is where my thought what is leading me, and I'm I'm curious as myself to figure out to find out where it's going to go. But it's something like this. Um, last year, I did a, I did another series of videos on resilience and courage and story. And yeah, this was this was the the easy thing to do, right? Because this is the beginning sort of this this is the dark part of the first wave right it's it's winter it's cold mm. everybody's telling us it's going to be a huge wave you know, kind of hunker down get ready it's going to be tough we can do this right mm. and so it's easy to, to find stories fairy tales fantasy tales sci-fi that that glorify the resilience of the individual it's very easy to do um, okay so and and those are stories that appeal to people except my ears start to perk, perk up because I started to get a lot of pushback from from different people. Some people say, you know, the hero's journey is a is a toxic male archetype, hmm. and it only works for a certain kind of person. And even then, it encourages the kind of bad male qualities that are particularly at uh, particularly obvious in things like January sixth, um, and you know, in in you know, in the, in the sort of bro movement in the internet, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, if, if you want to push it that far, maybe. But then, okay, so the, it really came to a head when I was when I was watching with my book club. Uh, we had just finished reading Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, translated by um, by J.R.R. Tolkien, who's, who has a wonderful translation of it. And it's a, it's an incredibly, it's perfect for this time of year. It's a Christmas story. It's very joyful. It's very mm -hmm. playful. It's got a lot of really wonderful stuff going, going on in it. If you can manage the uh, sort of archaic form of it, by the way, it, this is neither here nor there, but Tolkien makes the interesting point that it was written in the 14th, 15th century, something like this. But even at that time, it was old, old fashioned. It was, it, it was deliberately wow. archaic. Yeah. It was like this form of it was deliberately archaic. <laughs> so wow. there, yeah, there's something about, about about that and i find that very appealing that even, I, even I do too was, it, it uh, tells you about human nature too <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> we love but, that uh, we do you know we love that it's part of that old new thing right mm -hmm. but and speaking of old and new there was this uh movie version of it made and nobody thought that a movie version of that poem could ever be made made it's it does it's not conducive to, to a visual um adaptation at all it, it's it's not really a quest narrative there's a lot of talking a lot of long descriptions of of clothing things like this mm -hmm. right and this movie comes out and it, it gets a lot of uh, praise from the critics almost all of whom are keep repeating this phrase faithful adaptation of a medieval original i'm like come on be <laughs> faithful adaptation of a no you're all being lied to so finally we all watched it the my, my book club with a with with the desire and intention of speaking about it afterwards as a group uh, and I'm watching this thing in the first hour. I'm like, okay, I can see what's going on. This is not the poem at all, but there's these external trappings that are medieval like, like there's, there's these super titles that show up at the beginning of each, uh, section of the story as if it's like a chapter. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, very, which is kind of cool. And 
Yeah, and you know, and, and it's an old-fashioned font. I'm like, okay, yeah, there we go. We just fooled everybody. This this makes it medieval because you know we have super super titles and old old timey font. Yay! <laughs> but <laughs> and from the beginning, I'm like, okay, you're not going to fool me. I'm paying attention. But initially, I'm like, okay, this looks like a hero's quest narrative, except that as with all modern stories, the hero cannot be a virtuous character. He can't be a knight. Mm-hmm. He has to be the most fallen fallible creature because we are all fallen fallible creatures and and we can't possibly have right. our heroes outshine us so right. we need egalitarianism. to egalitarianism that's right we need to have a an approachable a not approachable what's the word i'm looking for um uh appealing relatable that's the word yes he has to be okay. relatable yes. and of course how is anybody relatable relatable except through vice so this guy is, you know, the main character is woken up in the first scene of the movie um, by a whore in a whorehouse on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is not the poem, but fine, let's go with it, see what happens. Because at least it's being set up as a narrative in which the very fallen hero is being given a chance to redeem himself and mm-hmm. become a true knight. About an hour and a half into the into the film, there's this bizarre conversation between uh, the main character and a lady. In uh, those who know that the poem, this is the lady that tries to seduce him, and who is uh, in in on a game that he doesn't know is a game. So uh, it's basically a test of his of his virtue, which mm-hmm. of course makes the whole story, the modern version, impossible because there is no virtue to be tested. So why why is great, there even a story? Great point. Place? Yes. Yeah, but right. anyway, right. so there's they start talking about the Green Knight and the color green, and how it represents rot how it represents the the rotting of all things, but not just the rotting of all things, the rotting of all civilization, and how it represents the death of man, the death of man's works. And there's this creepy, Whoa. like, yeah, this creepy kind of horror, horror movie music is going on during this conversation. I'm like, I feel very uncomfortable. What is going on? <laughs> We've just gone off the rails. This is no longer a fake hero's, a hero's journey. This is something totally different. I'm like, I don't like where this is going. Um, so my, my hackles are up. I'm paying you know, a lot of attention. And then the movie goes off the rails. He comes to the place where he's supposed to accept the, the blow from the green knight after he's chopped his head off. Right. The, the, um, the idea is that it's a Christmas game. Uh, whatever blow he gives to the green knight, he has to accept the same blow back. So he chops his the green knight's head off and he has to come back a year later on Christmas Eve and, and submit himself to, to have the, his head to, chopped. Okay. Yeah. And the movie has him shaking in fear, which is actually accurate. He, he flinches in the original version. And the Green Knight is like, what is this? Are you a knight or not? Which, and he says that in the movie. And I'm like, no, he's not a knight. <laughs> so why do you even ask that question? <laughs> but anyway, and then he runs away. Gawain runs away. And then there's this weird 15, 20 minute long sequence where he comes back, having shamed himself utterly to Arthur's deathbed. And Arthur, for some unknown reason, makes him king afterwards. Hey. Makes the Green Knight King. No, Gawain. Gawain. Yeah, after he's shamed himself. So Gawain becomes Arthur number two. He wears Arthur's crown. He's in, he's in charge of the round table, and everything is bad. There's invasion. The, the country starts to, to turn in on itself. There's war, and eventually he's killed. Um, well, th- this that's, is really kind of... that's Yeah. Wait, that felt like that movie was over, and then it's still going at that point. Okay, and then it's suddenly at that point where he dies, and the manner of his death is interesting, but not important for the for the current point. Um, it suddenly flips back, and he's back at the Green Knight, and his head is still under the axe, 
and he doesn't run away. So it's this kind of might have been sequence, right? That he is either seeing it unfold in his mind right before. But then the weirdest thing happens. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So we're giving him a chance to redeem himself finally. But at that point, he turns and looks at the Green Knight. And the Green Knight comes down to him and says, because he doesn't flinch in in this version of of events. He goes, well done, my knight. He says, well done, my knight. The Green Knight says this. Now, off with your head. End of movie. So we don't see if his head is chopped off or not. And I'm like, oh, okay. Ha ha ha. You know, it's one of these postmodern things where you can, you can come away with your own interpretation of, of everything, you know, the death of the author, all that stuff. Except I read, I read an, uh, a very deep analysis of this by a, by a movie critic. And he makes the point that, no, this actually is not what you think it is. This is a, a very disturbing movie. Because what it's saying, actually, is that the only way out of the human predicament, the human condition, is to accept the inevitability of the death of humanity. It's to to accept the inevitability of the green. And so when the green knight calls him, you are my knight, it's like the crowning of this post-human nihilism, in a way. And it's okay. It's better that way. Because humanity is a blight on the planet's existence. So let's just let it all die. Let's let the green take over. It's better that way. So you think that, I see, this is dystopian and this is a willingness to accept a nihil. And I heard something else. There seems like some sort of embrace of the uh, imagination as if... Mm -hmm. Because I like how it was extended into time as if he was yeah. living in that space, yeah. which also feels very much like, don't worry, what's real is what you make real. The idea of virtue is actually made up anyway. Yep. And so what is this story? Yikes. What is this story? This is a dangerous type of storytelling because why though? Like address the cynic who says, yeah, dude, you're you're just using a you're just using a template that comes out of some worldview that you've determined is true. What well, makes thank it you more for saying dangerous? Template, because if you because you've just revealed your hand, Mister Cynic, <laughs> and that is that you cannot think of the world outside of a template, and that template is story. Yeah, you can't. You cannot exist without thinking of your world in terms of story. And what this is doing, what this movie is revealing, is that there's there's this very disturbing undercurrent. In cultured, in cultured American or maybe Western society. And it's showing up all over the place. And as soon as I saw that movie, I started to notice it in, other, in different places. It's this, it's this comfort with the idea that, first of all, we are nothing. And that perhaps it's better yeah. that we will be nothing soon. That it doesn't matter because we are so bad. We are so awful that it would be better for us to, to kind of just let it go. And I, I see this in a lot of places. Um, sci-fi, modern sci-fi, especially of the sort of secular um, post-apocalyptic variety. There's a lot of that kind of stuff coming out. In particular, a book uh, such as The Gone World by, by Tom Swedelish. It came, it came out a few years ago. It was kind of a minor hit. Yeah, very, very popular with, with critics. Same kind of sense that, you know, there is this, the world out there is, is teeming with life. It's, it's filled to the brim with existence. 
and we're we're preventing it from being what it can be full fully. Yeah. It needs to exist. We are the we are the problem. We need to get rid of us. And that's the nature we being the nature of our human existence, our nature. Yeah. Yeah, I think before people might might have said, why don't we just become an animal among animals? Yeah, I was going to say, right. The idea might be that it's not so much humans, it's the nature we've acquired through Christianity or through Islam or through, but you think these cats are- It's gone gone further than that. It's gone further, right? So that that might have been- that might have been a, a narrative, a story that people told themselves. And I think some people do still tell them tell themselves that story. I'm not saying it's gone. I'm just saying that I've started to notice that there's another story coming up. And it's and it's a very scary one. And if that's the story that starts to appear in the cracks during a time of crisis, a, a revelatory time, a time of apocalypse in, in the technical uh, understanding of the term, meaning a, a revelation, which is what COVID is. It's revealing a lot of, a lot of yeah. stuff about who we are and what our society is. And you know things that maybe we didn't know about ourselves. If this is at least part of the story that's coming out through the cracks, um, that's scary. That's really scary because, as it turns out, there's a kind of numbing comfort to this because you effectively you can do whatever you want because or, it doesn't matter, right? Or or it gives you license to to shrink because I, I heard in into your, the metaverse, <laughs> yeah, into something. Where you didn't have to choose, you know, I'm going to, this. I don't know, I'm going to take a little left turn, but because I, there's something important in what you're saying in the world that I used to be in, which is day-to-day education. Now, mm-hmm. You see young men who would rather simply stay on the computer than risk a relationship in conversation with a female. Yes. And it's not because they, it's not because they are, you know, actually not wanting sex or not wanting the intimacy, they kind of know they need it. It's because there's a lack of courage to embrace something that they have to offer. In other words, the nihil is in almost like a default because I don't want to have to embrace the thing that would I might get shot down. You know, I, I me, I don't have to know me Oh, it'd just be better if I didn't have to define all these things. And I just sort of default. So the storyteller maybe has lacks the courage to actually provide the template, to provide the answers, even though they're not the answers. I get it. Because then what happens? They get they get their head chopped off on some level. I wonder if there's something to that. You no, know? definitely. And and don't forget that the way to get out the, the story template for that young man who was tethered to that universe, to that other universe. The template to get out of it is the heroic quest. But mm-hmm. this story, you know, the way that it's being told basically suggests that the heroic quest is flawed as a toxic masculine leftover from a previous culture. So the one thing that you have to be able to get out of it, which is a kind of throwing yourself out into the difficulty of the wilderness, you know, the risk of being mm-hmm. rejected, that is that is a movement out. It's a movement out from yourself right. into right. into adventure, right? It's a call for to adventure. But you can't do that anymore because these new templates are suggest are suggesting that even the attempt is misguided, maybe, or you shouldn't even try it because it's an unhealthy leftover I of see. a society that right. has that has put down the marginal, put down, okay. put down everyone else. Okay, so then what do we do about the notion that? Empty spaces get filled up. 
there, yeah. something will emerge as more and more people decline to assert a worldview. Won't there be a worldview asserted within the emptiness, within the, the space well, created? Is, of course, but the worldview that will be asserted, the template, the story, has the, has the danger of, be, of being a very sort of uh, extreme one. Right. So there, there might be two ways out, right? One is to assert the absolute necessity for the hero's quest. But at, at again, this came back to the beginning, at the expense of having the roots to be able to come back to a community yeah, beautiful. Where, you can, mm -hmm. where you can then transform it around you. It's just the, the going out into the wilderness. But again, we, were talk, we talked about that. That kind of, if you do that, if that's your only movement is outward into the danger without being prepared for it properly or without having the framework within which to, to work on yourself as you, yeah. as you have yeah. disaster after disaster, that's right? right. That's because right. you will have disaster after, that's the structure of the story. That's the template. You will fail. Yeah. But you have to fail and you, and you, and you have to have the internal apparatus to be able to keep going. Is that what we fear? I think we both fear. Is that what we fear about the energy and the aggression, say, of the Proud Boys or the Patriotic Front or whatever's out there? Yeah. There's no introspection. There's no, no template in a sense. They're reacting against the emptiness by just- They're reacting against the template without, without a template of their own. Yeah. Or just a part of a template, a part of a story, yeah. Aggression. Yeah. Or, yeah. Wow. So then how does this play-, play Take us a little into King's Norse work that you did and also the stuff that he's writing because there's something like story forward is a term you use with me. There's there's something that he's talking about that that we see over the ridge, something coming. And how how would you describe what he describes? Because I, I think that he's just a really nice mouthpiece. I think all of us are feeling it. So mm -hmm. what is this? story where does it go what's happening do you think well he's he hasn't answered that question he's he keeps promising that he will yeah he has <laughs> so not he has this, you're right no he has this long essay series that where he's talking where he's talking about these questions and where he's introduced the two stories but he hasn't he hasn't yet talked about how what story we might um reintro reintroduce or or, or uh, you know offer as, as an alternative but right. he in, in his latest in his latest essay he does say I want you all to come away with before Christmas with a sense that none of this is can possibly survive for very long is, is his, is mm. his sort of uh, hopeful and comforting word. Mm -hmm. He says the nature of humanity is one in which no, we tend to overreach ourselves. We tend to go in, in ridiculous directions, mm -hmm. but we, we have those roots. And if we go too far away from them, we either die in which case our story is done, whether that's physical or spiritual death, or we come back and we are, we have to face the reality of our, our own rootlessness. And mm -hmm. because of the nature of the world, the way it is now, I think a lot of people are waking up and they're starting to dig and they're starting to look inward. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, I think that's, I think that's what he's saying. I think that's what, I think that's that his, that's his hope. That, that's the last word. But he hasn't he hasn't given us a, yeah, a clear no, answer hasn't. yet. So <laughs> when I was reading his stuff, and I wonder if you could share your thoughts on this. You know, he's taking up on this whole red pill idea. Where really, the, the red pill comes, but the the matrix concept, yeah. and so the machine. My thought was always reading that and just doing this podcast is the new world is it, the machine's not so much an organism or a construct or something you can tap on and, and touch. It's, it's a trajectory. 
And it feels like the trajectory is born of an anthropology or, or, or anthros is about man, right? Yeah. But I think cultures, a collection of mankindness, mm-hmm. that culture has a trajectory. And so as we define ourselves, we'll be where we go. Yeah. And so I think this thing does end in some sort of transhumanist conversation as long as the Western world keeps defining themselves in the way that they do, in the way that we do. And I don't see any way around it. I wonder if that's, if there's some breakdown that leads us to a new anthropology about what we are. I feel it coming out in these conversations that you do online, your books, Peugeot, all these cats. It feels like what we're really almost always talking about is, is anthropology. What are you? Um, what, what are we when you're writing a book? What are you telling a story about when you tell it about human beings? Do you, do you want to venture into that space? Yeah, I think the story is the death of, of a very particular kind of culture. Um, mm. The long death throes of a particular kind of culture. And it's a Western culture. And it's a culture that was steeped in Christianity, but is trying its best to cut the umbilical cord um, before the organism, the new organism is able to breathe on its own, um, which is why it's in death throes. Um, mm. the, the looming reality of the machine is, uh, is is the template that will that is the most appropriate to replace or rather to fit in to that space that is created by the death of this civilization mm. because it's stable because it has straight lines because it can run on itself because it can provide what we think we want which is comfort yeah and order and order yeah. yeah, and a lot of order. <laughs> yeah, that's the terrifying part. Yes, <laughs> and that's that's the side of the story I default to, as as in your beautiful uh, opening conversation about you know these two types of of narratives. I definitely default to that, but I don't know. I like that default, but I do feel order, a heavy dose of order coming. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think there's no way out of it. Um, the only way is through, right? This, to, to get through it. I don't, you know, King's North Point, King's North's Point, and I think I agree with him, is that the machine cannot, it doesn't have a beating heart in its chest. It can only run as far, as long as the cogs, on some sense, agree to keep it running. For sure. Um, For sure. That's somewhat what The Matrix was about, right? In some ways, The Matrix is, you know, the original movies, in a lot of ways, kind of prescient. Of course, it's not really about that it's about other things as we found out later <laughs> but um, you know about, about that's a great question and, i have a whole conversation about that if you want to have it next time is i still think it's about what what it's about even though they may not have thought that's what it's about <laughs> like i think that happens to writers all the time i think there's a subliminal reality you know yeah so in some sense the postmodern critique of of you know the author not having complete control over the meaning of the story is is accurate i think Sometimes the author doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> well, and yeah. The media th- comes out in spite of the author. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do really think that. I, I really definitely think that. Uh, the last thing is to talk about, um, well, at least we can keep going on other stuff, but one thing that is coming out now for me, um, and I see it in other writers as well, is there's a logic to the folks that I love on the, let's call it the left, whatever that is, Yeah, that they don't embrace the machine, but they're willing to allow it to operate in their world. Yeah. And 
And the reason is, is because it's the next step in their anthropological development. In other words, it only makes sense. And so Klaus Schwab and these guys like Paul Kingsnorth talks about, they're really just telling you the story as they can only know it. It's like, yeah, that's what we're going to do next, guys. How do you not know this? Aren't we all on the and, same and team? And don't you understand why it's such a great idea, right? I mean, that's their point. They're not trying to like hoodwink you. They're very open about what they believe. <laughs> this like, is, what this is great. We can have Zoom parties. It's the greatest <laughs> idea. You don't have to sit in the same room as Stinky Grandma. Don't you want that? <laughs> but I find it so odd that they're so blind to the fact that most of the world, now this is where my old world, new world, this is where the developing global south and all, the, I don't really know what to call people who are poor anymore. I just can't stand all these dumb phrases, but the people we work with on some level, this is where I don't think people really get how many billions of people are not in that story machine. They're just not in it at all. Yeah, they don't know. Sure they're, they're, they're probably mystified by the by its existence. <laughs> Nick, totally mystified. I've told this story before on here. I'll tell you real quick. I was in Mozambique just in August. the The mayor called us over. The chief. He's really the chief. We had a great conversation. The chief, of course, is of a certain class, and the chief is telling the white people. Well, Josh and I happen to be white, but we were with some other brown people. You know how it goes. And then he's very excited to tell the foreigners, guess what we're doing? Now, you got to realize it's me he's talking to. It's this white person. We have gotten the vials from the Capitol, and they're they're coming up on trucks. And so we called a uh, holiday. And I'm like, oh, what about what? We told everyone there's going to be a holiday, and all the farmers were going to bring them into town, and we're going to give them the vaccine. And we're going to call it a, a, a holiday for the vaccine. And I'm like, wait, I don't really understand. Why? He said, because we need to do this because it's really important for everybody here. And then I proceeded to ask everybody I knew if they knew what COVID was. Those farmers did not know what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they heard like, it's literally the phrase is always, it was a white man's disease. But they're about <laughs> to get the shot for the white man's yeah. disease. Right, right. And it just, it just, I, I don't think these cats understand the depth of division from their worldview and this other worldview. Now, the problem is, is they have the resources. Yes. So what happens? I don't know. Yeah, and they have, they, have the, they have the access to the, to the story framework. So they can there tell whatever go. story they want. They print the books. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and then we're seeing that kind of digital censorship happening already you know, in a, in a very clear form. So give us one word on that before we go. I love talking to you. How is the book industry going in your mind? You're out there printing books, selling books. What, what does it look like? What's, what's the I mean, landscape? I'm, I'm on the fringes. I can't, I can't really say with, with any, um, you know, sureness about, about the center. Cause I'm way on the margins, but I listen to people who, who have their ear close to the ground and what they're saying, the pe people that I trust and people who have, you know, who have themselves, Publish hundreds of books to widespread critical and commercial acclaim. They're they're saying that the book industry is basically in its death throes. It doesn't really know what to do with COVID because COVID is is the mm -hmm. ultimate book book killer because bookstores are now they now have cooties and yeah. the wow. traditional the traditional book selling apparatus is not about selling books to readers. If it were, they would actually price ebooks the way they're supposed to, which they don't. They price mm -hmm. ebooks higher than, than they price paperbacks, which is insane because 
It's very the weird. Actual cost to make an ebook is zero dollars. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't cost anything to make an ebook. No, you just took a, you're right. You just took a PDF off of an author. <laughs> yeah, it costs zero. So to price it $14.99 is, is the absolute height of insanity. But they want people to buy physical books, but people won't because they have cooties. So we're in this weird moment where the publishers, and there's increasingly fewer of them. There used to be the big six. Now it's the big five. Now it might be the big four if the unless the Justice Department gets its way and, and uh, halts one of the big mergers that's happening right now. Mm. Um, and... They don't know what to do. They don't know what to publish. Mm. Uh, the only the only books that make any sort of dent for them are are surefire, you know, uh, sellers from people who already have massive followings. You know, things yeah. like you know, books like books by Michelle Obama, things stuff like that. Right. You know, and those aren't going to be like culture changers, uh, no, because they're not they're not dangerous. They're very safe. So this medium right here, this really is. It's going to look something like this. It's storytelling with video storytelling, online storytelling, right? Just all through the internet at least but leading probably to more and more small in in person encounters of people who meet virtually because they can't stand not being in the same room so eventually it's going to mean these these people us coming together and telling these same stories around a campfire outside probably and you mean you mean a campfire you mean together yeah yeah, yeah i do yeah yeah okay well i thank you will you come back on yes <laughs> I think the next thing we do is these big narrative ideas. I love it. I, you know, I wrote a book. It's behind me over there. Uh, I will read it, John. I'm getting no, it. I'm not. You, you would not it. believe the, the the huge pile of books I have to read. Maybe. Well, I think that's what happens, right? When you're a writer and then you're on the, and the people send you stuff. Listen, yeah. I would love for you to, but, but just as a person who did that, um, the, the notion of story, you know, it grows when you tell a long story, you know how novels are, they're not easy to keep together. Nope. And as you keep them together and you own them, you start to realize the power of the thing itself. Like it overwhelms oh, yeah. you. And yeah. I think it's coming. It's, it's never going to leave us, but I think it's coming as a rep as an intentional way to understand truth. I think more and more of us are going to go, thanks for the data. It's nice. I get it. Yeah. However, you know, and I think the breakdown of the current narrative with 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 the vaccine will help people to to do this. Now, I'm not trying to say anybody was wrong, but I do think that will prove itself. Whatever that is, again, there's again again there's the scientific mindset, but I do think the narrative will begin to move again toward. You know where I really know things is when I sit with you, when I go there to the persons I know, and when I eat the foods that I made, yes, <laughs> you know, yes. and there's the, some kind of truth. And, and I, I'm all on the internet. Those things, all of those things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah. the internet makes those other things possible. That's, you know, if it was just about being in meta, then it wouldn't mean anything. Yeah. But there's this hunger for common feast. Yeah. There's a, there's a hunger for, for common story. There's a hunger for common space. Yeah, man. And yeah, you're man. not gonna you're not gonna get it in the metaverse. It's just not gonna happen. No. Well, uh, blessings to your family up there. And these are those dark days. Well, not yet, but maybe in January and February. It's dark up there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's gonna get dark. That's okay. Well, enjoy the snow. Enjoy your long walks. Um, hook me up in a couple months. We'll talk again. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. That was Nicholas Kotar, guys. Go check out his website. It's pretty amazing. And there's a lot of good things there. And if you're an Orthodox Christian, you get a double dose. 
of really nice storytelling and also lots of liturgical reality in there. So thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Shenis Gagimarjos to Deacon Nicholas Kotar. That means to you, the victory. We're saying it to our guest, Deacon Nick, and to really all of you. May your merry, merry Christmas be a blessed remembrance of the beauty of incarnation. Watower is produced by Andrew Schwartz, Daniel Paternos. Our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation and our little growing, now sizable group of lovers of this show and lovers of our work. So share this Watar with a friend. Hit us up with solid reviews on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcasts. Check out our pod courses. Become a recurring donor and you get to join those pod courses for free. Take a KP journey with us in 2022. That means go visit us in the Caucasus. We'll take you to West Africa, to Guatemala, to Appalachia. Right? Join us at our restaurant that's coming up. That'll open in March, God willing, here in Greenville, South Carolina. Go online. Get our newsletters. Do all these things that we're offering because we're just trying to create a space for peace, love, and here's and that's not understanding. Peace, love, and this is the big one. Hope in a very odd time. Nakvandis, hasta luego, kambufo, and peace out.